This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Recent research into the healing potential of psychedelic substances has sparked a resurgence of interest in LSD, mushrooms, and other mind-expanding psychotropic substances. Yet without adequate preparation and counseling during and after the use of psychedelics, much of the transformative potential of these experiences is lost. Francoise Bourzat's work provides clear guidance for people using psychedelics and other transformational processes for healing or for their spiritual development, as well as for the therapists who are guiding them along the journey. Her work is equally for counselors and for clients. Francois's book, Consciousness Medicine, provides a therapeutic framework that she developed combining psychotherapy with 35 years of fieldwork among the Mazatec people of Mexico, who have a long tradition of taking psychedelics as medicine. The book guides the reader through preparation, setting intentions and goals, and the different types of experience one may have in an expanded state of consciousness, as well as guidance on how a trained counselor can best support someone through these states. It also explores the art of integration, the application of the wisdom gained from such experiences into daily life, and how a guide or therapist can support the full integration of a journey after it's over. Enhanced by Francois' personal stories, along with accounts of clients, the book builds a powerful case for a holistic view of non-ordinary reality and concludes with a heartfelt argument that modern psychotherapy include expanded states of consciousness in earnest. Valeria interviews Francoise Bourzat, the author of Consciousness Medicine, Indigenous Wisdom, Entheogens, and Expanded States of Consciousness for Healing and Growth. Francoise Bourzat holds an MA in Somatic Psychology from the New College of California, San Francisco, 1990. She is a certified Hakomi therapist, 1991. She is an adjunct faculty in the East-West Psychology Program at CIIS. Since 1987, Francoise has apprenticed with shamans and healers in the U.S. and Mexico. In the last 20 years, she has traveled with groups to Mexico, incorporating her counseling practice experience with her knowledge of expanded states of consciousness, where she partners with Mazatec healers in sacred mushroom ceremonies. She lectures internationally, and she leads trainings in the U.S., France, Lebanon, and Israel. Her book, Consciousness Medicine, North Atlantic Books, showcases her decade-long knowledge which bridges indigenous practices and Western psychology. Here is the interview with Francoise Bourzat. In your own words, who is Francoise Bourzat? 
Françoise Bourzat is a, an explorer, a curious woman who wants to um, understand life and its purpose and support people in exploring life and their own purpose for life. Um, I am uh, French and uh, Françoise is a person of um, great interest of other cultures and of ways that other cultures are living life, um, creating life, uh, creating collective, expressing life. So that's how I would uh, describe myself on a personal level. Of course, professionally, I have all kinds of other description, but on a personal level, that's where I would, I would say. So before we talk about some of the topics in your book, consciousness, medicine, indigenous wisdom, entheogens and expanded states of consciousness for healing and growth, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. So the first one is a general question about life. What is life to you, Francis? For me, life is a, a gift, an amazing opportunity to sense with our five senses the world and the beauty of the world, the texture of the world. It's also an amazing gift on the um, capacity to love and be loved and share human connections, creating collective uh, communities and uh, interactions. So life is a passionate um, aspect of being incarnated and uh, a, a wonderful uh, palette of creation and expression. And what would you say is the opposite of life? Fear. The opposite of life is fear, is contraction, holding back, holding in, um, woundedness that is not being healed, that creates a blockage for life's vitality to move through our physical body and uh, emotional body. What is consciousness? What is that we call consciousness? Consciousness, for me, in my own term, uh, has different layers. One is the layer of awareness of what is present to us. What are we aware of? What are we conscious of? Conscious of our bodies, conscious of our, the world around us, conscious of our relational style conscious of the way we express ourselves or attract uh, people or not. So there is the consciousness that is more layer of awareness, of human awareness. Then there is the level of consciousness that has more to do with um, a spiritual environment in which we live, the manifestation of everything being consciousness or spirit in everything that exists and uh, the air we breathe is consciousness right. or uh, the, the flower outside of me is consciousness and has consciousness. And, and so it's a permeating um, mm. sense of, uh, of, uh, of spiritual presence. Um, and that is also consciousness. And then since we're talking about consciousness, what is consciousness medicine? 
Mm. Consciousness medicine is the way we can heal and doctor ourselves through the process of acquiring and expanding consciousness, through the process of being more in awareness, as I described the first layer of consciousness before, but also in the way we can expand consciousness through various techniques and create a deeper uh, and more vitalized connection with the spiritual layer of uh, our physical and human um, life. So, um, you know, we can heal ourselves with consciousness. So consciousness is a medicine. Um, It is a way to heal. It is a way to balance and create uh, wellness. Yeah, I'll be asking you more precise questions about uh, those healing methods. Uh, psychedelics and other alternative forms of healing. What is another word for healing? Repairing, caring, doctoring, uh, attending. Um, yeah, ways of of addressing wounded places um, and places of pain and of uh, unknown uh, places, but most likely it's about repairing, easing uh, wound wounds, you know, leftover woundedness. Is that done, um, generally speaking, with the uh, being conscious or expanding consciousness? Would you say both? I, I would say both. I think that knowing our wounds is the first stage of um, healing, knowing who we are, knowing in awareness what we are trying to repair, uh, understanding the the patterns that are here in us that are preventing us from living the life we want or the joy we have or the vitality we can have. So acknowledging and identifying the woundedness or the the pain is the first layer. And then, uh, and then, uh, addressing this through various techniques that are be that can be just talking to a friend, of course, which is normal consciousness, or you know, receiving a massage or changing one's diet. I mean, there's a lot of level of addressing a wound that can be done on this very level of consciousness and support. And then there is the other layer of expanding consciousness through various techniques that can. Um, approach the wound in the in a deeper manner and a more holistic manner and by doing that um really creating a different thoroughness of of healing and a more uh, complete uh, aspect of healing i'm wondering if there is a direct way of healing the traumas and the wounds by deepening this understanding that that there's nothing to be healed, that everything's perfect as it is. I guess this is a philosophy with the Zen Buddhists. I do believe that it's possible. I do believe that ultimately um, the situations that we go through in life, either as victims or as, uh, you know, uh, situational, cultural uh, challenges, are ultimately what they are, challenges for growth and challenges for uh, waking up and reclaiming 
a, a place of, uh, of of expression and of life. So I do believe that there is a purpose. Uh, however, you know, uh, for a child who has been hurt or violated, you know, there's a phase of acknowledging the pain and acknowledging the heaviness and the fear and the woundedness that is important to also be in the holistic aspect of uh, acknowledging everything that is, including those aspects of the young self, um, which doesn't have the capacity to understand that everything has a purpose, you know. And so we need to uh, hear the different the different ages present in the person. That's a very interesting perspective. And from my own experience, it resonates true that even though I was trying to go in the direct way, everything's perfect, but that created this mantra of illusion in a way, because the body was still in need of repair, as you call it. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And what is your vision for a new reality? Ah, that's a wonderful and big question. Uh, I'm going to try to express what's present for me right now in this time, right? Um, so I think that the great need of, uh, or the great wound of society at large is isolation, is the feeling that we are not connected, that we can be, um, you know, in America or in England or in Europe somewhere, or, and that um, what's going on in Thailand or, um, you know, um, the corner of China is not uh, mattering to us or not really impacting our life. And we just are in the process of seeing how that's not true and how uh, everything that happens anywhere on the planet is really affecting all of us or creating potentially uh, a disastrous situation for all of us. And that we are ultimately, for better or worse, um, connected and um, that this is the realization uh, and the disease and the realization, right, that we are connected, even though we feel we are not connected. And so the principle of isolation is an illusion. Um, we know that when we are, um, all of us, like you are and I am, you know, leaning or addressing, you know, what can be healed and how can we create more harmony in the world, right? But the a general mentality is that countries or, you know, uh, cultures are so separated that they don't impact one another. And so the vision they have for this uh, healing is, well, you know, again, uh, what we are going through, which is uh, a, a, a painful yet superb uh, in, in, in its magnitude, not in its happiness, but in its magnitude, a massive, a massive lesson in connectedness and how uh, <clears throat> we can uh, hopefully be... Um, really uh, taking stock of the fact that we have had an illusion that we were disconnected and now we're not. And so going forward, how do we uh, realize that the way we treat animal impacts us and the way we treat the planet impacts all of us and the way we travel uh, impacts all of us, uh, uh, international travel impacts all of us. And so um, the, the, the harmony that I'm, or the healing, or the, I don't know if strategy, but the plan that I would have for the future is a, is an ongoing communication and ongoing dialogue between different cultures and different places in the world where we could li really listen to one another in a deeper way. And uh, 
you know, what's been going on right now in the um, demonstration and protest around racism and uh, inequality is really also bringing that. Um, um, in the feeling of injustice is starting to be intolerable um, in this country because people have a capacity to have a voice without being uh, completely, um, you know, uh, oppressed, which is not the case in many other countries. Uh, <clears throat> but so, yeah, uh, listening, dialogue, communication, forums, conferences where people come together and really listen one another, processes of restorative justices, process of uh, collaborative uh, on the health level, on the economy level, different system economically to uh, create more equality and more inclusiveness uh, of various communities. That's how I would think uh, things could be implemented. And there are many people who have tons of intelligence and uh, strategies and plans and uh, very, uh, very, you know, capable people to guide us through this process if we don't have the the actual tools and knowledge on the on the field. Makes me thinking about this uh, idea of being open, more receptive. And that also brings me to another subject of the masculine energies and the feminine. This is uh, what we are talking about, the dualistic uh, reality. So is, is this something that is um, also needed in a way, this shift more to the feminine than staying with the masculine ways? Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, yes, I I do think that, and I have a, I mean, it's not a joke, but it's a it's a saying, you know, that I say with some friends of mine, men and women for that matter, that mm-hmm. men have had their shot at trying uh, social uh, life and they failed at it miserably. <laughs> so we're gonna give the women <laughs> wow. a chance because men are not <laughs> doing a very good job, and we can see the results of their catastrophic mentality. So maybe it's time to give the women a chance to. Uh, uh, restore balance and restore care and restore listening. And I think that the female, the feminine energy and um, yeah, the feminine energy has a different capacity, uh, a unique capacity to be in tune with ebb and flow with uh, by virtue of what our bodies as women uh, is going through every month and then the gestation of babies and the caring for new life is a, is a gift, is an intrinsic quality that of care, of nurturing, of attentiveness, of uh, patience, of uh, resilience and steadiness. That is really quite a feminine quality that ought to be harnessed now ought to be uh, brought to the front of this dialogue. Um, I think also the process of, uh, well, I said the process of patience, but the process of listening and uh, letting things sit for better process internally, there's a certain time factor in the way women tend to process um, information and sort of gestate the information almost on an instinctive and intuitive level. So when they um, express it again or articulate their ideas or wisdom, it's already processed in a more um, uh, uh, embodied way and less mental and less disconnected from real um, real body feeling, right? So I think that it's time for women to uh, come forth and uh, I don't know if take charge, but have definitely, well, take charge, but take 
their place uh, side by side with men in a way that they are equally respected, which is a long way to go because women are not yet paid the same as men for the same work. So this is a big uh, level of inequality that is, you know, really um, uh, absurd in a way. I mean, that women are less human beings than men, essentially. So we are still looking at changing mentality, even in a very modern world, not even in the uh, you know, some cultures where women are less heard, but even in the most developed countries, you know, this inequality is still present. So we have work to do, you know, work to do, and men have work to do. And women have work to do in raising boys uh, who think and who consider women as equal. And I think that it's also um, a, an awakening for women to raise generations of men who would consider women differently and 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 fight or vouch for their uh, righteous place? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I didn't hear that before. That's the first time women raising men with a different way of thinking, right? More integrative. So I have a few more warm up questions for you. The next one has to do with love. What is love to you? Love is a bit like consciousness. It has different layers, I guess. Uh, the first layer of love is, you know, you know, our tenderness, the way we hold a newborn or the way we, um, you know, feel open towards a lover or caring towards a parent or a sibling or a good friend and um, the way we can care for someone in suffering, even from someone across the world from us. So love. Love is the caring and the affection and the tenderness and, of course, in its multiple expressions, depending on who receives that expression. Um, and then love is also um, a great force of creation, the great force of the universe and the great mortar of everything we build and every um, project we have and every uh, thing that exists really is an expression of love, an expression of, of creative power. And so for me, love is also um, a great force in the universe and not just a human emotion. What is your understanding and idea of peace? Um, peace is an internal state at first, or basically a place where we can, or I can, I would say, I can accept myself I can see the complexity of my growing up. Uh, I can see the complexity of my culture, uh, complexity of my pain and wounds and nature and um, the complexity of the people who have raised me and surrounded me in my growing up. Um, and accepting all this, seeing all this for what it is, for what surrounded me, what I am on, on my, you know, like I say, na nature level, um, and accepting myself and accepting my limitations, my frailties, my mistakes as I express myself um, as, a, as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, you know, the, the things that I do that are expression of my complexity and woundedness or my greatness. So accepting all of myself creates a state of peace inside, um, a state where um, I'm, I'm growing. I'm not, uh, you know, lazy on my personal development, but, but I still accept myself in this present moment as I keep discovering myself. 
till the day I die. Um, so peace for me is that on a personal and uh, yeah, personal basic level. And then going outward, peace is also the way I I address people. Um, my inner peace then gets articulated in the way I uh, address people with sensitivity, with care, again, through love. And then peace is a state uh, in the world or in some nations or amongst uh, the human family at large, uh, um, which is, you know, the again, uh, going back to listening to each other and the sense of dialogue where once we hear one another, we can accept and see and know and ultimately care. And then there is some peace that is um, possible. I love the way you connected the word peace to inner peace and accepting ourselves. Yeah. So my next question, what, where and who is God to you? For me, God is the equivalent of consciousness, the equivalent of spirit, the equivalent of, uh, of being, you know, as a force of creation, as a, um, as a place in the world, in everything and in myself that uh, fuels me with the vitality I need to be an incarnate human being. So God is not something outside of myself, but infused and in, imbued in everything that exists, including me. So when I, I connect with God around, I can feel inspired if I'm in a place of despair and disconnect with myself. And when I'm feeling um, quiet and contemplative, I can connect with God in myself and the way it illuminates and inspires me for my creation and expression of love. So for me, God is a is an energetic. It's, it's not some body. Uh, it's uh, it's more of a flow, a light, uh, a, like a wind, you know, like a wind, like a a breath, right? That is uh, into everything and uh, permeates everything that exists. Um, and my my life is an expression of God's presence. Right? I'm I'm infused with God, and I'm an expression of the divine like everything else is. So I'm not more than a plant and I'm not more than a rock, but I am also an expression of the divine in my own, in my own styles and uh, multifaceted uh, capacity. Mm. Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? Yes, I do. I believe that uh, spirituality being a, a connection with the divine, a very personal experience of oneness with the divine, God or spirit, uh, consciousness, as we say. And that being then uh, structured or constructed into formulas and uh, rituals that are then attached to religion. So uh, various religions are ultimately speaking of the same thing, except they have different frameworks, different rituals, different dogmas, and can be differently limited in their uh, expression of spirituality or, or how they contain or create context in which spirituality is brought forth. So going to a, um, a temple, a Buddhist temple, and sitting in the while the monks are singing um, sutras, you know, is a very transporting experience of spirituality within a certain context of a religious practice. And if I go to mass, um, then I'm exposed to another 
practice of spirit, another devotional and um, embodied uh, practice of spirit that is very uh, uh, beautiful and also contextualized in what can be a, a restrictive dogma, I call. And same for going to synagogue and, you know, um, and being in, in temple where beautiful chants and beautiful inspiring moments can happen. Well, the structure of the of the religion itself can be limiting to some people in the population, like you know, women or a certain, certain uh, sense of inequality and discrepancy of treatment. So um, I find religion more limiting rather than enhancing. However, I respect and enjoy the, the context of ritual that they offer uh, to the practitioners and the people who come to, uh, to commune and be together in that space of practice. Yeah, I like that too. It's really beautiful. I love churches. So let's talk about your work. How did you become a writer, Francoise? Oh, how did I become a writer? Well, you know, I, I, I didn't know I was a writer. So I, I want to say that I want to give a lot of credit to my co-writer here, Christina Hunter, who helped me a lot, put in page and in the uh, you know, right, right way of flowing with the, this uh, narrative. And so, you know, we are the writers. But um, what made me a writer was um, um, the curiosity of really... Um, bringing to the world or, you know, making available some of my reflections of what I had observed and worked on and taught in different uh, formats of trainings and uh, academic setting and conferences and like that, different different ways I had uh, presented my, my work and my way of approaching healing. Um, it, it became clear that there was a certain narrative that was sort of a, worth it to share with the, with the world and other uh, and people at large. So um, I was doing some, uh, some classes at an institution in California and, and uh, some students decided that it was a good idea for me to transcribe my lectures. And so Christina came on board and said, I will help you. And so we started this process of documenting sort of my, my, my narratives. And that became, that made me a writer. <laughs> Uh, which was a, a wonderful process and very, um, you know, uh, it, it was a kickstart into uh, my ability to really communicate in writing and because I was a much more of a speaker. And so uh, it's been interesting to see how uh, how becoming a writer is, is a process in and of itself and a wonderful one. Stay with the topic of writing. What was the initial intention of writing your book? Uh, consciousness medicine? Well, the impetus and the message was that I wanted to communicate to people that we as human beings have the capacity to heal ourselves, the capacity to know ourselves, first of all, and to heal ourselves and to balance ourselves. And that furthermore, we have the birthright to uh, practice various techniques that can expand consciousness. Because in the world of, uh, of uh, almost like mythology, you know, the idea of going through a hero's journey or going through something really meaningful and transformative and sort of an ordeal, right, um, is, is a ritual that has been part of First Nation practices for millennia. The fact that 
people have been uh, really connecting with deep place of themselves through various techniques of dancing, of meditation, of isolation, of, uh, you know, many different uh, meditation practices um, and, you know, sub sacred substances uh, ingested has been practiced for ever, everywhere in the planet. But because of the industrialization of our world, we have lost sight of this practice of transformation and going into adulthood and going into um, a deeper access of ourselves. So I wanted to name that, you know, this is, this is a human experience. This is a normal human experience. It can be safe. It can be intentional. It can be transformative. It can be expanding and giving us more connection with uh, various uh, facets of ourselves that are so rich and so enhancing of human life. I have some questions for you about psychedelic substances. But before that, let me ask you another question. Talk to me about somatic psychology and uh, Hakomi therapy. Yes, yes. So somatic psychology is a psychological um, science that uh, is, uh, studies the way human beings organize their emotional experience on a physical level. So the way we uh, feel anger, the way we feel sadness, the way we hold stress, the way we carry distress is all in our bodies. The way we hold trauma is all in our body. It's not a mind process. It's a very immediate and embodied process. And somatic psychology is a psychology of the soma, of the body. And so... Uh, it's, it's, it's fundamental for me to be able to include and address the way we carry our emotions, we carry our history, and we carry our wound and healing potentially in a physical form. So I'm very interested because otherwise it's a, it's a, it's a verbal dialogue that it stays in the mind and in the you know, intellectual level, and it doesn't really land literally in the body. And until uh, things are really acknowledged on the physical level, uh, we don't really process things. This is our this is our memory bank. This is where things are stored. So we need to really pay attention to the way the body is included in any psychological process. So that's somatic psychology. Hakomi psychotherapy is a technique uh, that was funded um, in the early 80s by a man named Ron Kurtz in Oregon in uh, the United States who um, blended basically um, processes of, som of somatic psychology, just as, as, as I just described, with mindfulness, with a uh, principle of various uh, movement of somatic uh, intelligence like Feldenkrais practice, which is a uh, body work practice, which engages the nervous system um, while bodies manipulated on a massage table, essentially. Um, and so this and gestalt therapy, which is a, a very interesting process of, of uh, psychotherapy. And so Ron uh, created this, um, this, this technique called Hakomi. And the word Hakomi means who you are in relation to to these many realms. So it is really about observing the way a human being's experience is, 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 is expressed in a physical body, in an emotional body, in a spiritual body, 
body, in a relational body. So this is really a, a, a psychotherapy technique uh, that is very holistic, that is taking care, taking charge or account of uh, many different layers of a human experience. And Hakomi is actually a Hopi word from the First Nation Hopi that Ron borrowed at the time um, to, um, you know, name his approach uh, that had to do with really the many realms of the human experience. Any method that's holistic, yeah, kind of makes sense to me, makes more sense. I love the somatic therapy too, somatic psychology. It's so true. We stored everything in our bodies and that can happen every day in small increments. And then psychedelics, that's such an interesting way of liberating. So talk to me about psychedelic substances for healing. So psychedelics are a group of substances that have the propensity of changing, altering our uh, chemistry, our the functioning of our nervous system, our brain. It enhances certain hormones and the circulation of hormones and firing certain neurotransmitters. So we are experiencing and perceiving reality in a different way. Essentially, our brain is functioning on a pretty limited level. Uh, let's say we function, some people even say we function like 5% of our entire capacity, which is pretty limited when you think of an organ, right? And when we are ingesting psychedelic, um, uh, psychedelic substances, our uh, brain functions on a much higher level, probably like 80%. So essentially, we are accessing more potential perception once we are on that, uh, on that altered states with a psychedelic. Psychedelics have been used in the world through uh, First Nation people in Africa, in Southeast Asia, in the Americas, in Europe, in the old uh, centuries, um, and has been part of society for many, many uh, centuries for healing, uh, for resolving, for exploring, for spiritual uh, enhancement. And it was part of many uh, Indian practices, um, Persian practices, certainly Aztec practices, and South American practices. It was part of what the quote-unquote witches used to practice in uh, old Europe. They used to work with many different uh, plants, including fungi. <clears throat> and so psychedelics now are, uh, you know, sort of have been seen as weird and very, like, dangerous and very, uh, uh, you know, scary. And uh, they're not. They just need to be taken in responsible hands and uh, intentional hands and the way they were in this first nation through rituals and contexts that were made them very sacred and very special. And um, so, you know, those were the old, old days. And then, um, you know, we know that in the 60s, uh, the psychedelics came back in the United States through LSD and mushrooms and various <clears throat> substances that started to be back on the on the market, so to speak. And and the war on drugs happened and the Vietnam War happened and everything got folded in and shut down and and forbidden. Uh, in the last uh, in the last 
last 40, uh, 40 years or so. Well, maybe a little less, maybe in the last, you know, uh, since 1990, I should say. So 30 years. There has been a, an interest a returning into the topic of psychedelics because scientists, doctors, university professors have started to reconsider psychedelic as potential treatments for various um, various symptoms, various affliction of the human body and uh, mental state. So there has been an interesting study and some uh, government-approved studies have taken place in various university um, and hospitals with great success. And so we're seeing a re-renaissance or a rebirthing of uh, psychedelic interest as well as a... Um, a destigmatization of what those sacred substances um, offer and are um, in mainstream, in a kind of a grassroots level. There's a lot of um, work in decriminalization, in some states' legalization, in uh, various countries that are now offering retreats where some substances are legal, depending on their location. So there is a renewed interest of in psychedelics right now, which makes me... Um, hopeful that there will be a different mentality uh, and, you know, developing towards the way to handle them best. Who needs psychedelics? Like in what cases is that necessary? Um, your last word is the most important here. When is it necessary and when is it not necessary? So it can be necessary or optimal or very potent, I should say, for some people who have PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder due to rape, due to war, due to car accident or trauma in their family uh, from the past or the present. It's very useful for people um, who are uh, extremely depressed, extremely anxious, uh, people who have uh, addictions due to trauma or due to uh, um, family addictive patterns. So those those psychedelics are, I don't know if necessary, but they're very, very potent and very helpful in those cases to really address and treat uh, aspects of suffering of human condition that is really painful and really debilitating for some people. Um, and then there is the, the people for, for whom it's not necessary, but it is enhancing. So there is what we call the healthy normals, you know, people who are not necessarily crippled by trauma. Everybody has weird stories of the past and weird, uh, you know, everybody has gone through some pain and, uh, you know, some, some difficult uh, background, you know, we, nobody's, you know, we're immune to pain, but people who are functioning well, people who have well-adjusted, people who have families and people who have, you know what I mean? I mean, it's not because you have a family that you're well-adjusted, but, you know, have the power of creating a life that's fairly balanced and fairly happy and then they're attracted to psychedelics because they feel like there is even more to, to life, a more uh, broadened spiritual dimension or um, a bigger sense of belonging to the collective or uh, wanting to discover a sense of purpose to participate to the collective growth and peacemaking, right, that we were talking about earlier. So there, there is a, a hunger for uh, meaning and participation that uh, brings people to psychedelics for a deeper uh, inspiration. Would that be safe at that level for those who don't necessarily need it? The first question, actually, it is, um, is that legal? 
Well, most substances are not legal. Uh, the one substance that is legal, I think, in most of the states in this country is cannabis. Um, and otherwise, uh, the other substances are not legal here. Uh, maybe some unregulated um, substance may be accessible and, and allowed. Otherwise, substances are legal in some countries. In South America, um, the ayahuasca, which is a brew made of a leaf and a vine, is a part of their traditional practices in the, the Amazonian basin. So it is legal there, as well as the mescaline containing cactus named San Pedro in South America, um, what, which is also part of their traditional practices and as such is respected and allowed. Uh, in Me Mexico, there is the uh, practice of peyote, also a mescaline containing cactus um, belonging to the witchel tradition. And then the mushroom um, practice, which is connected and belonging to the Mazatec tribes of southern Mexico. And these tribes and these indigenous populations have had the practice of the sacred medicines for many hundreds or sometimes thousands of years and have continued to practice these rituals. And so for them, it is a spiritual practice. And as such, it is part of the con constitutional right for them to practice those. So they welcome... Uh, visitors and foreigners to partake into their ceremony and to um, explore those uh, psychedelics in a legal and safe way. And generally, uh, I said generally because you know I'm, I can vouch for everybody, but generally those uh, traditional practices are done well in a, with a great respect and a great uh, sense of honoring the medicine and it's led by skilled practitioners and people of that tribe who are very steeped into this practice. So in that way, uh, there is safety. Uh, people who are uh, wanting to grow and expand consciousness uh, for, you know, inspiring reasons, as I said before, uh, are also going to this um, to this traditional uh, context to uh, to have experiences. Now we know that there is, of course, in this country, even though it's not legal, and I'm not condoning that, but there is. There are people who are practicing and, you know, on their own um, amongst friends or sometimes with some people sitting for them. I mean, there, there is a certain culture in this country um, which has led to the decriminalization process, right, where people want to claim the right to have access to some of this natural compound in a, in a less criminal fashion. Uh, so there is an interest in the population to, to have practices without having to travel to uh, foreign countries and, you know, either they don't have the money for it or the, the connections for it. And so they're trying to uh, explore on their own uh, as safely as possible, um, you know, the substances that they think would be enhancing their life. What was your experience with psychedelics? You know, um, in my book, I talk about this beginning for me because um, I was uh, carrying a lot of trauma and a lot of, uh, oh, you know, beginning of life challenges for my, you know, parental, you know, uh, uh, environment and culture that left me with a feeling of insecurity, a feeling of hesitancy about my life and a feeling of fear, really, of safety in the world. And so uh, when I came across psychedelic, uh, I was 27, in a way that was very safe, very, very supported and very psychologically intelligent, I found the 
approach very healing, very transformative, very empowering, and giving me the tools and the autonomy to live my life and create the life that I've created since then. And um, so that was my entry. And um, I've continued to practice uh, those, uh, you know, uh, uh, rituals of taking in uh, psychedelics, especially mushrooms in Mexico, where I can do that uh, in my deep and long lasting connection with the, with the indigenous people there. And it's a really beautiful space of opening to the greater spiritual dimension, as well as really going inward and understanding more intricately what makes me me and what continues to reveal itself is the compassion that I can bring onto myself, onto the places that I've been challenging. You know, the little girl or the teenager was confused or the young woman was scared and really uh, feeling a sense of acceptance and compassion. So is that it has kept me very connected with myself. Um, in a more uh, compassionate way and accepting, but also um, it has broadened my understanding of life, of the the human family as a collective, as well as the intelligence of the planet and Mother Earth being really a mother, clearly, to raise us and take care of us. So my love for the planet has grown exponentially as I deepen my relationship with uh, the natural compound of psychedelics. That sounds wonderful to me. <laughs> so my final questions, what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today? The hardest lesson for me is to accept my limitation and how I can uh, you know, impact the world. Like I have a great ambition, not in the egoic or, you know, uh, making myself important, but I have great dreams and great passion. And I I have to accept the fact that um, my 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 time on this planet is limited, that my um, my legacy will be my legacy, and that uh, it's hard. You know, it's hard to accept that uh, I will not. You know, I will not see uh, in this body on this planet the fruit of my uh, of my passion and my uh, my you know my uh, message. Um, the other thing that I um, that I feel is uh, is difficult. Uh, you know, is difficult to accept or to be with is um, uh, my hope for the planet and not being sure that the planet will actually make it. And uh, it creates a sense of, uh, uh, I don't know if anxiety but uh, or despair might be a, a strong word, but a sense of uh, sadness to um, the uncertainty of what the, the human family will be able to uh, wake up to and create a new balance for the planet. So, um, you know, it's hard to be with that, to be with the, uh, the suffering of this, of this big organism. And uh, it's um, falling apart, essentially, that we're going through right now. So it's, it's hard to see that and feel a little helpless. And what can I do to change that? Or what is my, the urgency of the message? So there's a sense of helplessness that can be at a time uh, challenging for me. And I have to surrender to that and trust that other people and other generations will take on this purpose and move with it may, maybe even more creative ways than I did. So there's also the hope for the new generations to come. I love the way you connected that um, hardest lesson of the challenge with this universal community. That's beautiful, really beautiful. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you change anything in your life or do anything differently? No, 
I am so grateful for everything that happened to me. I mean, I mean, you know, sometimes I go into some experiences or I reflect on my life and I feel there's a part of me that can feel sorry for myself or feel sad for the little girl who was scared or for the young woman who was scared. I mean, I'm not saying everything was really great, but I'm grateful for everything that brought me here and everything that made me compassionate, that made me resilient, that made me courageous, and that made me want to heal myself. If it was not for those hard, hard experiences, and the legacy of them and the contraction of fear that I was carrying, I would not be in this business and I wouldn't be in this track of consciousness and healing and supporting other people. You know, so it was my suffering that led me to my healing and my wanting to share that with others. So there's nothing I would change whatsoever. What are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Three things I know for sure. Yeah. Well, the first one is um, we as human beings have the power to create our life. We have the power to heal. We have the power to decide and to make what we want. Secondly, um, the message is, the, the, the invitation is stay present to what surrounds you. Stay in admiration, in awe and wonder, and in receptivity to the beauty and the love that surrounds you, which will inspire beautiful and loving actions. Thirdly, the only answer is love. The only answer is keep love in your heart for yourself, for the people you love, and extend that love to the people that you, quote unquote, don't love. And extend yourself to um, to create the world that you want to create through love. Thank you so much for your wisdom, Francoise. You're welcome. You're welcome. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So my book, Consciousness Medicine, is uh, definitely uh, a way to hear about my narrative and you know dive into my work more and then people can go to my website which is www.francoiseborzat.com which you'll find i'm sure on your podcast uh resources and so my website offers um many different things including some uh, video blog and online courses and articles and many podcasts like yours, Valeria, uh, that have been part of, uh, fortunately. And so people can hear uh, some more of my thoughts and, uh, and participate to the work that I offer online uh, through my courses. Thank you so much again, Francoise. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Francoise Bourzette, please visit her website, FrancoiseBorzat.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bigrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.